powers over this present darkness thanks, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Literally, I was reading this the other day and I was like, the cosmic powers over this present darkness. I'm reading, I'm like, what does this mean? Um, But this is a really, really important verse for us, an important passage for us. We're going to read the rest of it. But it's important because we are aware that there is a spiritual battle going on. Yeah. You guys are aware of that? That what we see here is not all of reality. Right. That there is a war going on for your heart, for my heart, for the church. Mm. And we have an enemy. Mm. And the Bible talks a lot about our enemy. Because God has this like amazing plan for us to thrive. Look at Jeremiah 17. We're not going to turn there, but... I'm going to give you some scriptures that talk about God's vision for us. Jeremiah 17, it says, like, the man who is, trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him, is like a tree planted by the stream. And his roots get the nutrients that he needs. And he's planted. He goes down deep. And as it grows, it says he's not, he doesn't fear drought because his roots are deep. That's God's vision for us. He wants us to have deep roots so that it says it doesn't fear when drought comes and because it's green, its leaves always remain green. It's even Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who loves, who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He's like a tree planted by the stream. The woman who does that, she's like a tree planted by the stream. That's God's vision for us. Psalm 23, I've been reading it every day for about the last six months, and it has changed my walk with God. Psalm 23 says, God is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There is nothing I need that I don't have. He wants us to walk with that confidence every day. So God has this vision for us to thrive. He he designed us to be free. He designed us to be like trees planted by the stream, unshakable in our core, even in the hardest things of life. He wants us to be confident in him, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, full of faith, hope, and love. Every day with God, he's intended us to be full of joy and gratitude. That's his vision for us, is that we're walking around the luckiest women of all time. But Satan has a different plan for us. John 10 says, Satan comes literally to steal, kill, and destroy everything that is good in your life. He hates you. Satan hates you. He does not want you to be happy. He does not want you to be grateful. He wants to suck all the joy out of your life. Um, when my sister-in-law found out that Santa wasn't real, she was 10 or something like that, and they sat her down and they're like, hey, Mackenzie, you know, she's like an angel. She's 22 now. She's about to graduate college. Mm-hmm. But when they told her Santa wasn't real, they sat her down and they're like, hey, Ken's, Santa's not real. Like, you know, it's time you know. And she's like this angel, little cherub, you know, a little chubby mm-hmm. cheeks. She's real cute then. And she like looks at them and she's like, joy sucker, you suck all the joy out of my life. <laughs> and that's exactly how Satan wants to attack us. He's like, every day, Santa's not real. That's kind of how he wants us to live with this, with this despair. He doesn't want us to be trees planted by the stream. He wants us to be the tumbleweed, tumbling around, just tossed back and forth by our emotions. Um, he uses fear tactics. He knows you. That's the scary thing. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your weaknesses. My weaknesses are probably different than yours. And he knows yours. And he knows mine. And he uses them. He is shameless in his pursuit of your joy. He will steal it at whatever cost. 1 Peter 4 says that the devil is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking for someone to devour. What other imagery could you use for that? He is literally seeking to destroy you. 
He wants to take you out. John 8, this is Jesus saying, Jesus speaking, and he says that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. It says that when he lies, he speaks his native tongue because he's a liar and he's the father of lies. And so Satan is literally spewing lies into our ears. He's whispering them into our ears all day, every day. And it's exactly the lies that you can easily fall into. He knows your weaknesses. He knows the lies that's going to make you go weak at the knees. But God, in, in Ephesians 6, he says, be strong in me. Be strengthened by my strength. So we're going to talk about it today. First, 2 Corinthians 2 says that we are not unaware of Satan's schemes. We're not stupid. Guys, we're not stupid. We know that there's an enemy. The Bible has prepared that for us. But it says we don't have to be outwitted by his schemes. Yes, he's a prowling lion, but God is stronger. And so when we walk with God, we are stronger than Satan. Literally, it says flee from the devil and he will resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we are stronger with God. So today we're going to talk about some of the primary ways we see that Satan has tried to take us out and how he's tried to take you guys out. And then we're going to talk about how do we fight it? How do we be strong in the armor of the Lord? So I'm going to pray and then Delaney's going to come up. Let's pray. Father, God, we love you. Um, And God, we don't want to be unaware of the battle that's going on around us. God, we know that you have a great plan for us. And we know that Satan has a horrible plan for us. Um, And Father, we want to be strong women, God. I I literally think about Diana and and Wonder Woman. I'm like, I just want to be like her against Satan. And I want to... Um, I, wanna, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be a weak-willed woman, God. We don't want to be women tossed back and forth by our emotions. And when life is hard, we just go down. God, we want to be strong. We want to be those trees planted by the stream. Father, I pray that you use this next little bit, God, to prepare us for that, equip us with that armor. Um, God, speak through Delaney. Speak through myself. Um, Father, just pray that you're glorified in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So this is Delaney. He's going to come up and talk about first scheme. Come on, Delaney. Hey, guys. My name is Delaney, and my boyfriend John and I have the privilege of leading the ministry in Athens, Georgia. Um, And this is an interesting lesson for me to be leading because I am a very emotionally led person. Mm. Satan's scheme for me is that he's going to get me to believe that every emotion that I feel is true and that people around me can shake me because of my emotions. Um, And I have to be so strong um, against that because I know that that's Satan's scheme for me. so one of these arrows that Satan uses to um, attack me is fear. Um, mm. I think fear is the root of a lot of different emotions for us. Um, who here has heard people talk about fight or flight? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So that our natural response in our body is to, in response to fear or a stressor or anything um, overwhelming, is to fight or to run. Um, and how perfect of a scheme is that for Satan to use against us, right? Like, if we're fighting, we're taking matters into our own hands. We're taking control of a situation that we think we've lost control of. Mm-hmm. And if we're running, we're just getting out of there. Right. But neither one of these things leaves room for God to be glorified or for Jesus to work in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as I mentioned, I'm in Athens now, but I just moved there in May. Um, so before that, I was in Columbia, South Carolina, oh. to USC, so I'm a Gamecock. Um, and now I go to UGA, so... But um, but before that, I lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I've moved a lot. And I think um, that in all of those unknowns, fear has really um, tried to creep into my heart. And so most recently, moving to Athens, there was a lot of fear and a lot of unknown. Um, I was graduating college and going to grad school. And I thought I knew what I wanted to do for my career. Um, I wanted to go into social work. I want to be a therapist. Like, I have all these plans. I know what I want to do since I was 13. Like, nothing's going to change that. I know what I want. 
And then God put um, the option to do ministry in my life mm-hmm. and a boyfriend who lives in Athens. And so all these things like maybe it's time to start thinking about moving and being in the same city as him. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an opportunity for ministry. There's a need there. Um, and that was not what my plan was at all. And mm-hmm. so all these things were scary. Uh, what if I moved to Athens and John and I broke up and then I was there in an unknown city mm-hmm. um, without the people who knew me best? Um, what if I got there and I loved doing ministry and this dream I've had for my career doesn't pan out and then I'm not doing what I thought I wanted to do, maybe not making as much money as I thought I'd be making, um, all these things that felt um, just felt crushing, felt really scary because control was out of my hands. Um, what if I moved there and people didn't like me? What if I got there and I was just too different from them or people didn't like me coming in as a leader or maybe... I don't know, all these fears and insecurities just mm-hmm. kept into my heart. Um, and I felt so much like Peter. Um, I think Peter, we see it so time and time again in the scripture, he makes big, faithful decisions, and then he loses sight of Jesus, and he stumbles. Mm-hmm. And then he gets back on track, and he makes big, faithful decisions, and then he falls again. And so mm-hmm. I moved to Athens. I made a big, faithful decision. I feel, felt like Peter stepping out of the boat. Like, I was mm-hmm. going towards Jesus. I trusted him. I was like, God, this is, this is your plan for me. I'm going to follow it. And then I got there. And I was an emotional wreck. Like, all the time, I cried Mm. constantly over the summer. I kept myself busy as much as I could throughout the day and distracted so I didn't have to deal with the emotions of feeling lonely, feeling like I didn't have a support system, feeling like all these unknowns were happening, I didn't know how to handle it. Um, And so, like Peter, I started to sink Mm. in my emotions because I took my eyes off of Jesus and I tried to take that control back Mm. from God. Um, And so... I think as women, this is a common scheme that Satan uses. He hurls those arrows of fear at us um, in a lot of different ways. Maybe it's through doubt. Um, Satan tries to get us to doubt God's goodness in so many ways. Um, Maybe you're doubting right now that God has something good for you planned because you've been praying for a great job. You've been praying for a good grade. You've been praying for a boyfriend, for that girl you're studying with to get baptized. Um, Maybe you're praying for a spot in leadership and just all these things aren't happening. So how could God possibly be for me if I've been praying for these things and they're not panning out the way that I thought that they should? Yeah. Um, is God listening to me? Is mm. he here for me? Is he really for me? Is he really good? Mm. Uh, maybe you're wrestling with the truth of what you're learning in the Bible. Maybe people are showing you scriptures that are so different than what you grew up learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's scary to not know the truth. It's scary. Yeah. Um, what if what I've been taught isn't the truth? Can I trust anyone in leadership? Mm. Um Maybe you're doubting that God is even there. Maybe you're thinking, are these words I'm reading truly sacred? Or am I just speaking to someone that's not there? Am I just speaking to air when I'm praying? Mm. Um, These are just really real things that we feel as women. And um, I myself have wrestled with as I pursue Jesus. Um, Next, I think insecurity. I think this is the most unique way that Satan attacks us as women. Mm -hmm. Uh, We want so badly to be validated by the people in our lives, by anything. We want to feel secure. We want to feel like we belong. We want to feel loved. Um, This is something that I've had countless conversations with in my own heart um, and with other women in my life. Um, And something that's at the core of one of my deeply deepest struggles that I hate to admit. I'm insecure about being insecure. I hate the feeling of being insecure, but I am. And so at the very nature of that, I'm insecure. Mm -hmm. Um, And this has manifested itself in many ways throughout my life. I think about back in high school, like when I was making the decision to become a disciple, what if I lost all my friends? What if I went to school and people didn't like me anymore? What if I didn't have people to talk to or hang out with at school because I chose to be a disciple and I chose the righteous path? Um, 
when I got to college, I moved from Raleigh, where I had a great support system in Austin Church. It was where I um, had gotten baptized, people I studied the Bible with. And I moved to Columbia, where there's a great campus ministry, but at the time I didn't have relationships. It was new. I was brand new there. Um, and I didn't have people initiating with me right away. Um, so what was wrong with me? I was feeling yeah. insecure. Like, is it something that I'm doing wrong? Am I annoying? Am I too worldly for this awesome ministry? And then I felt disconnected from the girls in my mm. dorm. Am I too spiritual to hang out with the girls in my dorm? And so I just felt lonely and I felt insecure. Come on. Um, and then I worked through that. I felt like I was in a pretty secure place. I was like, that's not my struggle anymore. And then I moved to Athens and all of it came flooding back. Mm. Because at my core, that's who I am. And I have to be so guarded against that because Satan mm. knows how to use that against yeah. me. Um, Good stuff. I felt like how I felt nervous to lead. I felt like I had all these expectations placed on me because John, my boyfriend, had been talking to leadership. He knew they knew me because of him, and so I felt like I had to live up to an expectation. Mm. Um, and what if I let them down? What if I couldn't lead in the way that they needed? Wow. Um, meeting the girls in the ministry, like I love all of them, but they had other women in their lives that what right. if I couldn't live up to those standards that the other women had set for them? Um, how could I lead a group of girls that I'm barely older than and barely have more wisdom then. Like, how can I lead a group of girls when I'm still learning how to have a close relationship with God myself? Um, so maybe you can relate to these things. Maybe for you guys, it's you're insecure in your relationships with people in your ministry. Maybe you feel like everyone around you has closer friendships than you do. Uh, maybe you're worried in your conversations with people. Maybe you're constantly thinking about how you acted, how you spoke. Did you hurt their feelings? What do they think? What are they thinking right now? Are they ever going to want to talk to me again? Um, and I think these are all just so real for us that we just yeah. feel so overcome by our insecurity that we don't even want to step out um, on faith. And all of this is rooted in a fear of the unknown and a lack, a fearing our lack of control. Yeah. Um, all of these things um, cause us to question ourselves and our abilities when really, ultimately, like, it's not about us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. But yeah. in all of these things, we lose sight of what God can do, and we're just letting our emotions and what we think we deserve or what we think we should be able to do wow. to overcome that. Um, I love to be in control, and when I'm not, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and Satan knows that about me. Um, so he's firing arrows of, un, of a fear and a lack of control at me yeah. because he knows that that's what's going to pull me from God's hands because ultimately he wants me to be so afraid of the unknown that yeah. I take the reins back from God. Yeah. Um, so we're going to look at um, a scripture, a passage in Matthew where we see Jesus really faced with um, mm. the temptation to be insecure. Come on, um, so turn to Matthew 4. <laughs> we're going to look stuff. at verses 1 through 11. Good stuff, Delaney. Does someone want to read that really loudly? Alyssa? Matthew 11. 4, 1 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed 
Um, one of them, honestly, is just discontentment. Like, yeah. life is hard. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just like, it is L after L after L today. Like, when it rains, it pours. And that's real. Yeah. And so it's just easy sometimes to just be like, this is not how I thought this day was going to go. Right. Or this is not how I thought this semester was going to go. Or sometimes we get depressed on our birthdays. Like, all right, I'm 25 now, and I really thought that something else was going to be happening. Um, and so sometimes it's just like life isn't going as we thought it was going to go. And that's hard, you know? And we can get kind of stuck in that, like, I, there was, I wanted something different. Um, loneliness. We could do a whole class on it, right? <laughs> Maybe you feel like you don't have friends that really care about you. Like you have a lot of people around, but there's not a lot of people that know you or care about you. Maybe you walked into the ministry like I did as a freshman and were like, all right, who's going to initiate with me? Like who's going to ask me how I'm doing? Who's going to hang out with me? Like I was kind of walked in waiting for people to befriend me. And it really discouraged me. I was like, isn't that what's supposed to happen in the church, right? right. People come pursue you, right? Like, people come want to be your best friend. So maybe you're feeling lonely. Maybe you're feeling like people haven't really reached out to you or haven't asked you how you're doing or haven't followed up. Like, hey, I heard that was hard. How are you doing with that, you know? Um, maybe, maybe you're dealing with depression, whether it's clinical or not. Maybe, I mean, sometimes it rained like two weeks in a row a couple weeks ago in Atlanta, last week. It was like, I think it was like eight or nine days of straight rain and cold and just nasty. And then if y'all have been to Georgia State, we have um, a patch of grass about this big (laughs) and it's fake. And so when you're kind of, when you're at Georgia State on a rain today, I've found, I'm just like, all right, I just need to read a little bit more than usual because it's easy to just be like sad, like just kind of feels gross outside and but especially, I mean, if you're dealing with mental health issues, like, no joke, you know? And Satan wants to use that to make you feel defeated. Yeah. Sometimes, you're, sometimes you're sad because life is hard and we get sad. Sometimes you're sad for chemical reasons, and it's hard. And you feel like he's just trying to knock you down. And I think the worst thing about depression that I've dealt with is just you, you've, you could go through all the logical reasons of why you should be happy, but you still aren't. Like, I can just feel like I I know I should be grateful. Like, I can write a gratitude list. I sure could. But it's like still there's this pit in my stomach. It's like this darkness that I can't see past, and I don't know how to battle it. Um, And so sadness sucks. (laughs) And these feelings really suck. And some maybe, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later more, but maybe you're hurt by people at church. Maybe either it's the loneliness thing, you feel like maybe people haven't taken care of you in the way you need it, or maybe there's a conflict that you haven't resolved, or maybe someone said something to you and you haven't told them that hurt you, and, and you're feeling it, and you're feeling that bitterness kind of creep in, or you walk into you know, a midweek and you're like, I don't want to talk to her, and you kind of know where she is, or you know, maybe you're feeling hurt by people, and that's like the worst feeling ever when you're at church, which is supposed to be the safest place ever, right. and you kind of come, and you're like, this is this is supposed to be my family that takes care of me, and I don't feel safe here, you know, and so these feelings are all real, these feelings are valid, and honestly, we're going to feel these things as long as we're on this fallen planet, right? right. We're going to be dealing with these feelings, but I'm going to tell you how Satan uses them to keep us stuck there. He has this really epic trick move called self-pity. And self-pity is, I will tell you, fear and self-pity are the greatest paralyzers of all time. Yeah. 
They will, the feelings you feel, once again, you're going to feel them, but self-pity is what keeps you there. Right. Self-pity is what, what makes you feel defeated to the point where you can't get out of it. Self-pity turns your sadness into stuckness, and you are stuck there with self-pity. So go ahead and turn to John 5. And when I think of self-pity, I, this is always kind of the first passage I think of. And it's a moment that makes me really fall in love with Jesus more. Because self-pity for us is really hard to feel stuck in. But I don't know about you, when you're listening to someone else who's kind of in a... They're very clearly kind of full of self-pity. It's really hard to have compassion on them, right? You're kind of like, come on, just get out of it, right? Like, I can give you the list of things to be grateful for. Like, you can do this. Um, But I really love how Jesus meets us where we're at. So go to John 5. We're going to read 1 through 9. So John 5, it says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, was a pool, which in Aramaic was called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these pools lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water stirred up and while I'm going down, another one steps in front of me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. And later on, you know, the day kind of goes on, and if you skip down to verse 14... It says, afterward, same day, Jesus found this same man in the temple. And he said to him, look, you're well. Sin no more, so that nothing worse may happen to you. So, okay, 38 years. No one in here, I don't think, is even past 30, including myself. 38 years. This man was sitting in the same spot, at the same pool. And this pool was kind of the, the belief about these pools was that they were healing waters. And so if you go into the pools, an angel comes and stir the water up, and the first person to get into the water gets healed. So that was kind of, that was why a lot of lame and invalids were around the pool. So this man was sitting here for 38 years, and Jesus walks by and he says, do you even want to be well? Which kind of sounds harsh, right? Like, it kind of sounds like Jesus is a savage. Like, of course he wants to be well. This is a paralyzed man. What are you doing, right? Um, but I think like, and it said that Jesus knew he had been there for a long time. And so it's so interesting. And, and we know from the gospels that Jesus knows hearts. So usually right. when he asks questions, there's a purpose to it. Yeah. So he says, do you want to be well? And see how this man responds. He was like, no one's here to help me. It's like immediately it's someone else's fault right. that he's not well. Right. And I think this is exactly where Satan wants us. Right. His issue, his, his issue was real, right? He, he was an invalid. That was a valid problem that he he wanted help with but satan was like i'm gonna keep you there blaming other people and i'm gonna keep you there for a long time 38 years right and i wonder if jesus had gone by if he would have done anything about it but how often when you're when you're dealing with these feelings right depression or loneliness or discontentment or feeling things towards the church how often when someone's like do you do you want to get out of this are you like well no one's helped me you know well they haven't done a lesson on it or like, well, I just, I can't find something in the Bible about it. Or, I mean, a lot of times, and this is very real, it's like, I try to read my Bible, but I'm just not connecting. So, 
You know, I've tried. You know, and you kind of get, kind of get hopeless. You kind of get stuck. But how often do you respond with the excuse? And how familiar are you with your excuses? I think Satan is very familiar with our excuses, so he keeps them fresh on our minds, right? But how familiar are you with what's an excuse that comes out of your heart? Um, I mean, a lot of excuses for sure is like, well, I don't want to talk about it because I'm just going to get corrected, you know? (laughs) Or no one comes from my background or I don't know anyone who's dealt with this situation, so they're not going to understand. And so we just don't talk about it. Um, go, you know, go through the list. You can probably think of more that you've, you've thought of as well. I can definitely think of my, my whole list. But um, I'll tell you, a time in my life when I had to battle, like actively battle self-pity the most, was okay, 2016. I feel like we all make like, jokes about 2016. It was this crazy year, right? Um, but at the beginning of the year, um, I was dating a guy for a long time. Great brother, great disciple, respected him at the time, love of my life. And five days before he was going to propose to me, family was flying in from South America. I mean, everybody was coming in for this proposal. Um, I, broke, I had to break up with him. Something came up and I'd break up with him. Five days before we got engaged. And then that same day that I broke up with him, my life was just in shattered. I was like so shocked. It was like this whirlwind. My life just changed in the matter of an hour. Um, that same day I found out that my sister signed divorce papers for her husband. And that was like an incredibly traumatic situation that my family's still dealing with now. So that was the same day. And then the next day, I started my, the first day of my last semester of college. So I'm like walking in senior semester, like, what am I doing with my life? I don't know what I'm doing. And I thought I was going to be married in a few months. And now I'm not for sure. And so I'm walking in. I'm like, I, you know, I don't have a brother-in-law anymore. What's happening? My sister cut my family off. We don't know where she lives right now. And, and then in, in the next four months, I was in three of my best friend's weddings. Wow. So I was a bridesmaid three times in a row, just like, you know. Um, and, and those, you know, those weekends, I was with my friends that I love. I adore them. I want to be there for them. But, like, self-pity with that kind of stuff, like, yeah. maybe you feel like everyone is dating right now. And I haven't even, like, been on a good date in a long time. Or, or maybe you're dating and you're like, everyone's getting engaged. Or maybe you're engaged and you're like, this period in my life sucks, you know. Um, but like honestly that stuff is like you can just feel like I just can't win right and self pity I mean Satan is right there you know Genesis says he's knocking at the door sin is crouching he's waiting to master you and so um, that happened so in, in that semester in the middle of the semester my parents have lived in South America for a long time in Bolivia and they went down there to start a clinic and they found out that it was like a month after my breakup uh, they found out that the, one of their partners, you know, who they also thought was a disciple, um, one of their partners in their clinic had been stealing money the whole time and was stealing money from the poor, was stealing money from the church, and ended up, he was, he's in prison right now, he's going to be in prison, but they almost lost their clinic that they moved there to build. Wow. And so all of this is happening, right? And it's just this total whirlwind. And then I, like, graduate, and I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Um, but that whole period was like, I had to actively battle. Like, I was like, you are not taking me down. Like, yeah. L after L was the real feeling, but I was like, I lack nothing. Mm-hmm. Psalm 23 is real. I lack nothing. There's nothing that I need that I don't have. Yes, I'm sad. Yes, I feel lonely. Yes, I feel like maybe no one understands what I'm going through right now, or I feel like, wow, my family's all of a sudden unstable, and it was stable a few months ago, right? And, and you can feel that way, but you can be aware. Like, you are not taking me down. Mm-hmm. I walk with God. I walk with the living God. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to battle self-pity. So you guys ready? This is part two. All right? So that was part one. Those are some of the schemes. 
Part two, here's how we defend ourselves with the armor. Go back to Ephesians 6. Come on, Bree. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Once again, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Don't you love how it says stand three times? And then look at this, 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. We're going to stop there. And those first three, there are six different types of armor. Actually, seven, which is a holy number. It's intentional. Delaney's going to talk about the next three, but I'm going to talk about these first three, okay? How we can battle self-pity with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the gospel of peace. So I love that it, it says, clothe yourselves with the armor. No one's going to put on the armor for you guys. Nobody can have your quiet time for you. No one can pray for you, your prayers. They can pray for you, but you know what I mean. No one can confess for you. No one can put on the armor for you. You have to clothe yourselves with it. And it starts with clothing yourselves with the truth. So all these feelings I just talked about, and that, you know, we're women in here. We know those are just some of the feelings. That's the tip of the iceberg, right? We could go on about feelings that keep us stuck. But our feelings are real, but they're not the truth. And so if that's where we land at the end of the day, we are not putting on the belt of truth. We're putting on a really weak belt, and our pants are going to fall. So... (laughs) I love, I love that in, when Jesus is in the desert, I love how he responds to the devil. Those are, like, those are his scriptures. Like You can just kind of tell he was like, all right, nah, I got that one for you. And, oh, I know this one right here. Like He had those ready to go. And I love that it was his truth. He wasn't quoting those scriptures. I, I highly doubt he was quoting those scriptures like, well, uh, the Bible says that mm, man shouldn't be, re-, you know. He wasn't doubtful. He was like, no, man does not live on bread alone. I believe it. That is my truth. And so is this your truth? When you read the Bible, do you realize this is for you? This is your sword. Delaney's going to talk about it later. Is it your truth? Um, you know, because I do think we can respond a lot with like, well, I think somewhere in the Bible there's something of like, I shouldn't be afraid, you know. And, but, and even if we know the scriptures, we can have them memorized. But if we don't believe them right. to be true for ourselves, how are we going to defend ourselves right. with them? In fact, we're just going to go kind of further into self-pity of like, oh, I feel like I don't have anything to fight with, Right. So John 8, you know, we know this one well. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Ephesians 4, right before this, it talks about assuming that you know Christ and you know the truth about Christ and the truth that is in Christ, then you can renew your minds. Then you can put off the old and put on the new. But, but you have to first, assuming that you know Christ and the truth in him, you have to be familiar with the truth in order to be renewed of your mind. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I think it really ultimately comes down to believing who God is in the Bible. It's not just having some memory one-liners, which are really helpful. But it is like you have to believe the truth about who God is. Because where Satan wants to take us is he wants, he wants to be like, did God really say you couldn't eat that apple? Did God really say? God doesn't want you to be happy. God isn't for you. You know, like Delaney was talking about, those fears of like, God isn't really listening to you. 
right? He wants us to start believing something about God that's not true. But this is our belt of truth is who God is. So this is the truth of the Bible. Guys, if you read through the Bible, look through Old Testament, New Testament, the story is the same over and over and over again with different adjectives and different stories and different parables, different examples. This is what the Bible teaches. God is good. He is inherently good. It is over and over again in the Bible. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you start realizing that like, oh, he, he should have smite, smited them, smote them a long time ago. Like, he's so good. I mean, look at Jesus. Look at how he goes to the invalid man who really didn't want to get well. And he's like, get up. Take up your mat. He's good. He meets us where we're at. That's who God is. And when we're confident in the truth about who God is, then we can stand firm in that truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Um, Breastplate of righteousness. This is probably like one of my favorite armors because it's so practical. But righteousness, the word righteous just by definition means to be in right relationship with God and to be in right relationship with others. Righteousness is all about relationships. And who knows Jesus' first, first command? What does he say first and second command are? You can just shout them out. Yes, I love corners. I love God, love people. Change the world. Yeah. Yeah, he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. These are, he says, all the law and the prophets cling to these two commandments. Pretty much don't even try to obey the rest of the Bible if you don't love God and if you don't love people. Mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting. Since being married, we just got married. Nick and I just got married this last May. So it's been like nine months, ten months. He's the love of my life. I am, like, amazed that I get to be married to him. I mean, literally. I still wake up in the morning. I'm like, what? <laughs> But since being married, like, this huge dream has come true. And I have struggled with more friendship insecurities in the last nine months than ever in my life. Like, I kid you not. I have this, like, best friend for life, my partner and my husband. And all of a sudden, Satan just comes in and he's like, your friends don't really love you. Or now that you have a husband, no one knows how to be friends. Oh, they don't really want to be your friend in the first. Like, it just has come in. And I'm like, wow. Like, Satan, it, it, he, it's just interesting how that works, right? You can have a dream come true and it's still not enough, right? And so it's been interesting. I've had to really fight with this breastplate of righteousness idea because I don't know about you. What do you do when you're insecure and when you feel kind of lonely? But I tend to pull back, right? I'm like, all right, I got to protect my heart now. You know, like shields going up. And so I have my own way of protecting my heart. Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire He breaks out against all sound judgment. And I think that's usually our response is we'll start isolating ourselves, right? And and it's our form of protecting ourselves. But God's like, no, I have a better breastplate. I have better armor than you do. Self-protection does not work as well as my protection does. And so um, even, you know, I was going to share about some of my, the struggles I've had with my feelings towards people in the church and like, we could have a whole lesson on that as well, right? About like, what do we do when we feel not protected? Maybe we've got people who are in leadership or we get so easily critical, right? And that is like not new at all. There's nothing new under the sun. I was just reading, um, or someone was reading to me Numbers 14 this morning. And it says, then all that, you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. But this is Israel. They're in the desert. They just were escaped from slavery, okay, from Egypt. For 400 years, they were enslaved. And they escaped and they started feeling like maybe Mo- like we aren't really getting what we're wanted. I think Moses and Aaron are corrupt. And so they said, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That's a lot of times where my heart goes when I don't feel protected or maybe I'm dealing with a hurt, especially with someone in the ministry, and I can feel like there's an institution that needs to be changed, right? That's kind of where I can go is like it's, a, it's this big picture thing and the church is corrupt. And um, Little side note, if you believe that the church is a man-made institution, you are not going to last long. Yeah. This is not a man-made institution. And go ahead and read Ephesians, through Ephesians and see God's glorious plan for the church. Right. But what God, God's standard for righteousness within the church, like if you have feelings for someone, a feel, sorry, feelings against someone or towards someone in your church, in your ministry, you better talk about it. Yeah. You better be real with them real quick. Because Satan, I mean, literally Ephesians says he wants a foothold into your life. It's like you have given him the key to your family's house. That's what happens if you don't talk about feelings towards other people in your church. Because God's standard is for complete unity. Right. I mean, John 17, Jesus is about to die. This is his dying prayer. And a man on his deathbed doesn't just pray about anything. He prays about what matters most. And you know what he prayed for? He said that this group, that we may be one, mm. just as we are one. That's what he was dying thinking about. He was like, I long for them to be united. He says, how are, how are people going to know that you're real disciples? By how you love one another. And even Ephesians talks about the church isn't just to prove to the rest of the world who God is by how we love one another. The church is literally to prove to the spiritual authorities. Like angels and demons understand who God is by how we treat each other in this church. So be careful. This is a, this is a place where Satan just wants to hook you in. And so it's amazing, though, how we get kind of caught up in, like, who's right and who's wrong. There's my first year in the ministry, I just was wrestling a ton because I was like, it's so easy for me in my heart, not out loud, but in my heart, to, like, look at the woman who was leading our ministry and to be like, I don't think Jesus would lead our ministry like this. Or to be in a Bible study with her and, like, the way you said that was a little unloving. I think I would have said it a little more loving. I didn't want to get advice from her because I felt like I was more loving than her. I really prided myself if people came to me with feelings about her. And I was like, ooh, I'm a safe place. She's not. Right? These aren't things I said out loud or even were like super aware that I was thinking. But my heart was like, I was really proud of how much I thought lowly of leadership. I was really proud of it. And I think that's, honestly, that's a really millennial thing too. I think we just have to be aware of is like yeah. any authority, don't trust it. And we get really proud of not trusting authority. And so, you know, it's just something to be aware of. Like, it's, that's not all bad. I think use discernment. But if you have feelings, talk about it talk about it these are people <laughs> but um what i realized was that god was taking my feelings in my hurt and my feelings like maybe i'm not being taken care of in the church and he was using it to totally forget that his number one command was brie love your sisters love that sister that one the one that you thought of when i just said that sister love her <laughs> right first john four says if anyone says i love god but doesn't love her sister is a liar. Yeah. Yeah. She who doesn't love her sister, whom she has not, whom she's seen, can't love God who she hasn't seen. This is the commandment we have from Him: Whoever loves God must also love her sister. So, breastplate of righteousness. It is amazing how when we fight to be righteous, when we fight to be selfless, when we go in. Nick taught me this. Sometimes when you feel funky towards someone, or even insecure towards someone, when you're with them in your head, just look at her and just say, "I love you. I love you. I love you." 
I love you. 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 Just repeat, I love you. In your head. And it really helps you because I, I do love you. You know, I have feelings, but I love you. I really love you. And that protects us. And it's like literally this breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts. And it guards our hearts. And it makes us stronger. It makes us love better. It makes us love more unconditionally. I have no idea how Jesus spent three years side by side with Judas, fully knowing that Judas was going to betray him. And on the night that Judas betrayed him, you know what he did? He took his clothes off. He put a towel around his waist. He got on his knees and he washed Judas' feet, knowing, fully knowing what was about to happen. That is the standard God calls us to. So that is the breastplate of righteousness. It protects our hearts to be selfless, to be servants. Lastly, I just want to talk about the gospel of peace. I love that Ephesians says, have your feet fitted with the readiness. And so, you know, it's really like you have to be aware all the time of what the gospel is. I have to remind myself all the time, like, what is it? And what does gospel mean? It just means good news. This is good news. This isn't bad news. And I think Satan tries to get in here. Literally the other day, I was like, I don't want to respond to this message. I don't want to call this girl back. I I don't want to do all these things. And I was like sitting there, I was like, my discipleship just isn't an adventure. That's like kind of where I was going. I was like, my, my discipleship is not epic. You know, I have this idea of elven maidens running through the forest with swords. Like this, you know, part of a bigger story. I'm like, that's what I want to do. But I'm sitting here, I'm like, I don't feel like my discipleship is fun. I think Satan wants us there exactly where he's like, that's not the good news. Like if it's not good news to you today, you have forgotten what the gospel is. So go back and read. But it is good news. It isn't bad news. Discipleship is not like, all right, we're all actually miserable following Jesus, but I feel bad that I'm kind of miserable, so let me use some happy scriptures. To, like, that's not good news. Right. That's fake news. That's bad news. But it's good news. <laughs> he died to set us free. He died to set you free. You are free. You're free to be yourself. You are free to walk with God. and not, You don't have to work your way towards him anymore. He already worked his way towards you. That is the gospel of peace. You are free to love him. You are free to love others. You know, Matthew 11 is such a great one. He's like, relax. He's like, if you're burdened and you feel like, you know, it's too hard to follow me. He's like, actually take my yoke upon you. Do it how I've done it. It doesn't mean you stop. It doesn't mean you just all day, every day is the Sabbath day. You don't do anything. He's saying, no, do what I do, but then do it my way. Do it humbly. Do it with the breastplate of righteousness on you. Do it with the belt of truth fastened around your, ba- your white waist. He's like, you do it my way. And he says, my burden is light. It's not, his commandments are not burdensome, which John says. And that's supposed to be the gospel of peace, that God is inherently good, and he's made our lives be inherently good. And let that, let that set you free. Let that set you at peace. Um, and so Delaney's going to talk about the next three armors. Um, so next we look at um, the shield of faith. And I think that's so cool. Um, earlier it says stand, like we mentioned so many times. Like it doesn't tell us to run. It doesn't tell us to fight. It tells us to stand. And what's the point of a shield if we're fighting anyway? Um, so God gives us his faith. We get to have faith in God as our shield. Um, and remember I talked about Satan knowing us better than we know ourselves. Satan is crafty, and he knows the holes in our army, mm-hmm. in our armor that he can wedge his way into. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so true for my life. Like, So this past year, before I moved to Athens, um, I was applying to grad schools, and I was 
searching for answers. I was praying for answers, but ultimately I was still like battling with like, I want to know, I want to be in control and I'm praying that I'm surrendered, but am I really? And that was something in my heart. Like Brie was saying, I like, I can relate to that, not being fully aware that that was what I was feeling, but that was what was in my heart. And I wanted answers so badly and I didn't feel like I was getting them to the point that it was causing me to doubt that God was for me. Um, I felt like he was sitting up in heaven, like laughing, like how long can I string this girl along? waiting for an answer, like, laughing at me, like, struggling, and, mm. like, oh, well, I know what's going to happen. It's going to be good anyway, but, like, it's kind of fun watching her flail mm. for a while. And that's really, like, how mm. Satan, like, got into my heart because he knew that that would be the tank in my armor, that, like, me wanting to know answers and, want, like, being afraid of the unknown was exactly how mm-hmm. Satan would attack me. Yeah. Um, to doubt that God was good and that God was listening to me. Um, so the shield of our faith in God's goodness has to block Satan's lies. Yeah. Um, Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of, of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave or forsake you. Mm. So we have to believe that. We have to believe that we get to be strong and courageous in the Lord um, and that he will not leave or forsake us and have that faith. Um, because when our faith, when our hearts are protected by that, when our shield of our hearts is our unshaking faith in who God is, Satan has no foothold. Um, we get to have faith in an unwavering God who is for us and who is mm-hmm. good. Um, and next we see the helmet of salvation. Um, how easy is it for us to, to feel guilty in our sin and doubt that God's promise of salvation is for us. Yeah. I think I can easily yeah. feel uh, weighed down by my sin, that feeling of guilt, that fear of like, well, what if God doesn't like me anymore? Yeah. Like, what if God, like, like, what if Jesus, like, it wasn't for me. Like, it couldn't have been for me because here's this sin that I'm just struggling with over and over again, and I thought I repented of it, but here it's coming back in my life. Like, how could God possibly mm. forgive me again and again? Like, that's not how humans think, so I have such a hard time understanding that. Like, God doesn't think like a human thinks. And God promises that He His mercies are new every morning, and that He wants to lavish His grace on us. Um, But we have to be confident in that promise that we are when we are baptized disciples of Jesus, we get to cling to the hope of this world passing away one day, and these struggles not no longer being here, and we get to be with Jesus in heaven one day. Um, So let's believe God when He tells us that He wants to give us grace. Um, It can be so easy to spiral emotionally. Um, when I'm given to temptation and doubt that God, there's no way God is still fighting for me. Um, but I have to give more God more credit than that. And we have to give God more credit than that. Like yeah. Satan is lying to us when he tells us that God is not for us and that God doesn't want to keep forgiving us. Right. Hmm. Um, and he so easily gets that lie into my head um, that I've used up all of God's favors. Like I've used up all of his forgiveness. Like there's no way that like he can keep forgiving me. Mm-hmm. Um, and but his mercies are new every morning, like I mentioned. Um, and our sins have been paid for. Like Jesus yeah. died for us, and we have to cling to that truth. Um, yeah. Numbers twenty three nineteen. I love this. It says, "God is not human that he should lie; not mm. a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill?" Mm. Um, wow. God doesn't think like humans think. Right. Um, we have to be so careful not to humanize God because when Satan wants us to think that God thinks like humans do, and when God thought like humans do, like there's no way that any of us would make it to heaven. Like, because right. we're not gracious people. We don't forgive. We don't love. Right. But God does. Yeah. And we get to cling to that hope and that promise of salvation. Our salvation is good, and God promises it to us, and we don't have to ever doubt that we have that. Um, and lastly, this is my favorite one, I think. The sword of the spirit, which is mm. the word of God. 
Um, when we looked at Satan, or when we looked at Jesus in the desert, he clung to his sword, which was the word of God. Yeah. That was what he used to battle Satan. Um, I think, like, we hear so much in our generation right now, like, live your truth, speak your truth, like, follow your heart, all these things that, like, are all about me and what I think and what my heart is telling me to do. But the thought of following our heart should be terrifying to us because for me, my heart would never lead me anywhere near God. My heart is going to lead me as far away from God as possible. Um, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Our emotions are real. They're there. We feel them. But they are not true. Yeah. And so if we let our emotions lead us, we're going to go so far from God. We're going to go so astray. Like, when I let my emotions take over, I distance myself from people. I pull back. I'm, like, terrible to be around. I cry <laughs> a lot. Like, people don't want to be around me when I'm letting yeah. my emotions take over. Um, because that's a lie. Like, and everybody right. can see it. I, I know for me, like, when I'm speaking to somebody and I, or, like, when I'm sharing my emotions and I'm just, like, <coughs> venting, it feels so valid to me and then if I were to hear that played back to me I'd probably be like oh my gosh like that's so not real at all like that's not true but I believe it and Satan lets us believe it but it's not true it's a lie um and so we have to be rooted in the word of God as our power and our truth um second Corinthians 10 30 10 3 through 5 says for though we live in the world we do not wage war as Mm -hmm. the world does the weapons we fight with are the not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So our foundation has to be in the Word of God. Our weapon that we use is the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. How cool is that? Like yeah. We get to carry this around as our weapon. Right. Like We get to use this to demolish every stronghold that Satan wants to tempt yeah. us with or wants to get into our heart. Oh, cool. um, and so if our foundation is on the truth of God's word, we can stand firm. We can stand. We don't have to run. We don't have to fight. We can stand firm in the truth of who God is. Um, and so I feel so powerful. Like the only way that I found to, to not be completely overwhelmed run by my emotions because that's my tendency and that's where I will go is to be rooted in the word of God. Yeah. And so many times over the past few years of really my desire for control really being challenged has been I have to have convictions on who God is. And that means studying out God's character. Reading about God's character throughout the Bible. We see it again and again. He's good and he's merciful and he's just. And really believing that that he wants to be that for me too. It's not just for the people in the Bible. It's not just for other people that seem to be more spiritual than me or more righteous than me. Like It's for me too and that can be my truth. Um, and so my challenge for you as we close out is to really study out God's character. Like build a conviction on who God is and what he can do for you yep. in your heart um, and in your life. Like we have to cling to these scriptures so that we don't get overrun by our yeah. emotions. This is my sword. And I feel so powerful against Satan because yeah. I know these scriptures. And we have them written on our hearts. Yeah. So memorize scriptures. Have scriptures put up on your mirrors in your bathroom. I know I had that in high school. I had all these scriptures about security um, and all that on my mirror and in the morning and when I would go to school I'd have to read that every day and I have scriptures on my dashboard and I have scriptures written on sticky notes in my planner and I have scriptures yeah. everywhere because I need that because Satan tempts me in every way yeah. throughout my day like even when I feel like oh well, I'm going to like this ministry event like how can Satan get in there he does because people <laughs> are human and we disappoint each other and so right. I still have to fight even there yeah. um so find your sword scriptures. Find yeah. your desert sword scriptures that you cling to like Jesus did. So that when Satan tempts you, you have 
your weapon that you can battle him with. Mm. Um, because that's all we have for you. That's awesome. So I think that lunch starts at 12.30. So I think it's just kind of a gap. They have like 20 minutes to transition. Love you guys. Love you guys. Cheers.